0: If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Welcome to today's
1: episode addressing what many of you, our listeners, experience, which is triggers and flares of psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corinne Pettit, and joining me today to address both the physical and emotional triggers of psoriatic disease, our dermatologist, Dr. Ariane Shadi Kuroche who is Assistant Professor of Dermatology at Harvard Medical School and the Dermatology Department Director of Community Health at Massachusetts General Hospital, where she is also a staff dermatologist. Also joining us today is Dr. Theodore Stern, who is the Chief of the Avery D. Wiseman Psychiatry Consultation Services and Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Together, they have written a book called Facing Psoriasis, which offers information about living with the disease in an informative and caring approach. Well, welcome Dr. Karosh and Dr. Stern. So we're here to talk about triggers and flares of psoriasis and what can be done to minimize the impact of both. So to begin, Dr. Karosh, we know that the severity of psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis can fluctuate. There are times when the disease increases in severity and other times when barely any plaques are visible or pain occur. Why do you feel this ebb and flow of disease occurs with psoriasis or
2: psoriatic arthritis? What's causing the disease to flare? Thank you so much for the question. We're delighted to be here today. The reason that Dr. Stern and I wrote our book, Facing Psoriasis, a guidebook for people with psoriasis, is that so many of my patients ask me that very question every day. They ask why this skin condition is happening to them and why it's happening at a certain point in time or a particular point in their lives. And we know that psoriasis is caused by a combination of factors that people who, who get it are thought to have a genetic tendency of their immune system overreacting in the skin, which is what causes psoriasis spots or plaques, and that certain environmental factors that may impact a person in his or her life trigger this genetic tendency in people, causing these fluctuations in the immune system, which then give rise to psoriasis spots. So you alluded to triggers. What are some of the triggers of psoriasis? Some triggers can include stress on the immune system caused by certain infections or illnesses. For example, sometimes patients can recall that their psoriasis appeared for the first time after a terrible bout of illness. There are also certain medications, for example, Blood pressure medications, or lithium, or antimalarial medications that can trigger psoriasis or cause a worsening of the disease in people who already have it. And there's also the trigger of physical trauma, such as scratches or injury to the skin. This is also called the Kevner phenomenon, where certain skin conditions appear at sites in the skin that have been scratched or injured. And psoriasis is famous for doing this. One interesting form of the Kevner Phenomenon is also sunburn. I think this is important for patients with psoriasis to think about because the sun in small doses can help psoriasis. And dermatologists will tell patients with psoriasis that cautious sun exposure, a little bit of sun exposure on their affected areas of skin can be helpful. However, if they become sunburnt, that can actually have a paradoxical effect. And the damaged areas of skin from the sunburn can actually get worse because of the Cabernet phenomenon. So I think it's important to really have moderation in that. So all these types of stress on the body can bring out psoriasis in someone who has the underlying genetic tendency. But it's interesting that some people who are in the same family and may carry the same genes go through their whole lives and never develop psoriasis. So we still have a lot more that we need to learn about this condition. And Dr. Stern, in addition to physical triggers,
1: emotions can also trigger psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis. Can you please speak to how emotions or psychosocial issues can trigger the diseases? What are some of the typical triggers?
3: it's a great question. People have, from around the world have known for centuries about the relationship between the mind and the body. And while that relationship is still somewhat amorphous, everyone believes that mental activities have an effect on the physical nature of the body, usually through its immune system and its hormonal matrix. So, when people get anxious or depressed or under stress, it affects the brain chemistry of hormones and the hypothalamic pituitary axis, abbreviated HPA axis, and that creates biochemical changes and stress hormone release that makes the body have to work harder and challenges its immune system to allow territories that are more vulnerable to reveal illness problems and dysfunction of different body systems.
1: And what about depression? Doesn't depression have a strong link with psoriasis?
3: Absolutely. Both depression and anxiety are clearly linked with the body's stressful response to internal and external cues. So the more one understands the triggers or precipitants for depression and how what can mediate or modulate its effect, it affects both the mental reaction, your behaviors, and your physiologic or bodily response to what goes on. Depression is a very, very common disorder in the population. When you look at both serious depression and more minor depression, it affects between 20 and 25 percent of everybody in this country, with the more serious variety affecting 7 to 12 percent of people. And that usually impairs function, as well as feelings, as well as bodily responses, To the stresses and strains of life.
1: And how about environmental triggers? Could that flare psoriasis
3: as well? Absolutely. There are a whole host of things that are in the environment or related to the environment. One of them are physical traumas, as Dr. Kuros has mentioned, where injury to a body part can lead to more skin eruptions in that area of injury. But there's also a wide range of infections, such as. Human immunodeficiency virus infection or strep infections or H. pylori infections in the stomach, it can trigger and precipitate dermatologic manifestations. Endocrine disturbances, disruptions of calcium regulation can also affect this. And many people that have exacerbations triggered by conditions like diabetes multiple sclerosis, irritable bowel disease, can also affect your skin. But there's also a wide range of what are called psychosocial stressors, which are interpersonal and factors that everybody goes through at different times, but some people are more vulnerable to others. And with that vulnerability, people then delve into drugs, and alcohol, or begin smoking more, or begin smoking at all, and that can be a trigger, as can a variety of medications used to treat bodily disorders and mood disorders like beta blockers, lithium carbonate, and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. There are lots of triggers out there.
1: And Dr. Karosh, is there a type of psoriasis that is more strongly associated with triggers, such as we know guttate psoriasis is really strongly
2: associated with strep? Yes, absolutely right. While wow, I've seen all types of psoriasis, be triggered uh, by the various triggers that Dr. Stern and I discussed, guttate psoriasis is famous for that. It often appears after a bout of illness, most commonly after a strep infection, as you recall. The word guttate actually means drop-like in Latin because in this case, the skin lesions are very tiny, almost looking like the size of a, of a drop on the skin. And so patients will sometimes come in covered in these tiny pink scaly spots that are often very itchy. And when I ask them if they can remember being sick or having had a sore throat, many of them can actually recall that they had such symptoms before it happened. Um, The good news for people in these situations is that oftentimes the flare will subside and get better over time after this bout of illness. And so it's really the role of the doctor to help them sort of control it and manage it and get through it. There are other conditions, as Dr. Stern mentioned, such as HIV infection, in which psoriasis can appear and be very difficult to control. And so if a patient thinks they may have risk factors or any possibility for HIV infection, it's very important to discuss that with their doctor because it would need to be identified and managed for their overall health, but also for the sake of their psoriasis. Because if there is an underlying illness in the body that's triggering the psoriasis, oftentimes if that is identified and managed, then the psoriasis will get better. So you've all talked about managing
1: the psoriasis and flares of the disease. Dr. Stern, can lifestyle modifications make a difference in managing flares of psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis?
3: Absolutely. Lifestyle modifications Though being only one potential mechanism by which people can control the stress of their world and the habits and exposures in the environment that they face is important. one way of thinking about this is that many conditions, not just dermatologic conditions, are thought of as having a biologic psychological and social contribution, and whether it's medications or changing your internal perspective and control over the world, uh, or your interpersonal mechanisms, these interventions can be useful. So for a variety of lifestyle modifications, you can correct and control the stress in your life.
1: And what resources are available to help with lifestyle modifications?
3: There are a wide range of resources available. You can check with your health care provider, whether it's your primary care provider, general practitioner, dermatologist or others that you work with who can guide you towards resources within their office practice or hospital setting, working with psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, and others to help you figure out how to manage your anxiety or distress how to manage your depressive mood or depressive disorder, how you can gain support from others through the internet or on the internet with group support or contacting organizations like the National Psoriasis Foundation and other advocacy groups, as well as trying to control your underlying or comorbid conditions. For example, if you have alcohol use or abuse, there are organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous or Smart Recovery that can help you learn to control your stress and your response to stress that may be challenging for your body and your ongoing health. But there are also medications, antidepressants that also help with smoking cessation or nicotine replacement to help with smoking cessation They can all work together to help you control what's driving your stress and your feeling under less control than you would like to be.
1: And speaking of therapies, Dr. Karosh, we know that there's a variety of therapies used to treat psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis flares. Can you briefly address the therapies used to treat flares for psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis?
2: Sure. In my clinic at Massachusetts General Hospital, when patients come to me with psoriasis for the first time or psoriasis that's maybe not being managed completely, I go over with them a whole range of treatment options that are possible for them depending on the severity of their disease. Now, for most patients with psoriasis, it's important to start with topical medications because it's I- ideal if we can spare patients the risk of side effects if it's not absolutely necessary. And so I always start with topical medications. And there's a, there's a whole host of topical medications that are available, including topical steroids, tar-based medicines, non-steroidal topical medicines such as tacrolimus and pimicrolimus, and now many others. There is also topical vitamin D or calcipotriene, And the role of vitamin D is thought to be important in psoriasis due to many reasons, some of which are still being explored. However, we have noticed that vitamin D and sometimes even vitamin D supplementation that's managed by a physician to make sure patients are getting the right amount can be helpful. Light-based therapies can also be very helpful. That for hundreds of years, it was noticed by patients and their physicians that a little bit of sunlight can be helpful for people with psoriasis in in moderation, of course, because if people become sunburned, their psoriasis can get worse. But 15 to 20 minutes of cautious sun exposure, maybe protecting the other areas of the body that are not affected by psoriasis, like, for example, wearing a hat and sunscreen to protect the face, but letting a little bit of sun exposure hit the areas on the body that have psoriasis can be helpful. And in this same category... Medical phototherapy can be very helpful, where, for example, at Massachusetts General Hospital, we have an entire unit of our hospital called the phototherapy unit, where we have both small devices for just targeting the hands and feet if a person has psoriasis mainly in those areas, to units that may span an entire wall where a patient can stand in front of them. And the machine will shine the exact wavelengths of light, which is 311 nanometers of light that was found in scientific research to be particularly helpful for psoriasis. And so this form of therapy is called narrow band UVB therapy, where it takes that 311 nanometers of light that falls within the ultraviolet spectrum of light and shines that directly on the psoriasis spots and filters out all the other rays of light that may not be useful. And so this, in some ways, is considered actually safer than sun exposure because it's taking the particular rays of light that are helpful and filtering out all the others that are not helpful so that those aren't increasing a patient's risk of skin cancer. And then, in addition to that, there are also systemic medications, both oral pills that a person can take and injectable medicines, such as the biologic medicines, that can be very helpful for people that have more severe disease. But that's a conversation that really needs to be had with a person's dermatologist and, in some cases, rheumatologist, because for patients that have severe psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis, oftentimes dermatologists and rheumatologists will work together to manage their skin and joint disease and oftentimes those patients that have joint disease definitely require systemic medication and those really require a discussion about all the potential side effects and also laboratory monitoring because sometimes those patients that are on those medicines require getting laboratory tests every month or a period of months in order to make sure that they're not having any negative side effects. So that's really a choice that some patients need to make with their doctors. So I generally start with topicals and light therapy. And then also the lifestyle and habits that Dr. Stern discussed, that's a real discussion that I have with my patients, making sure that they understand the different factors in their lives, such as weight management, exercise, quitting smoking, things like that, that have been shown and researched to have a real effect on their psoriasis, starting with these therapies, lifestyle, topicals, light therapy, and then seeing how much progress a patient gets from those. And then if needed, we move into the realm of systemic medication.
1: Okay. Well, so you've alluded to some of the best strategies for minimizing flares. Why is it important to minimize flares in the first place?
2: Well, I think that most of us physicians would agree that prevention is the best medicine if if we can manage it. And I think many of our patients would also agree that if we can find a way to prevent or minimize their flares, that's really the ideal outcome. And so a lot of my counseling with patients, especially when they're first diagnosed with psoriasis or maybe when they come to visit me for the first time, is I talk with them about the daily things that they can do incorporating into their lives that will make it less likely for them to have a flare or maybe make the flare less severe when it happens. And one of the main ones that Dr. Stern was discussing was managing of their stress because we've known for decades that when people have any kind of stress on them, be that physical or emotional, their psoriasis tends to get worse. And so keeping healthy minimizing physical trauma to the skin, taking care of oneself to prevent illnesses, keeping a healthy weight, exercising, having a good diet to prevent obesity, diabetes, and heart disease, which have been associated with psoriasis, are important, and also managing stress, establishing care with a psychiatrist or psychologist, engaging in forms of therapy that would relieve a person's stress, meditation, yoga, being involved in groups like the National Psoriasis Foundation that both educate a person and relieve their stress are important because if a person takes care of their overall health and well-being, we notice that their psoriasis tends to become more mild than it was before. In addition to that, moisturizing the skin is very important because dry skin is more fragile and prone to injury. And as we discussed before, injury to the skin is one of the triggers of psoriasis. So keeping the skin well moisturized is a way of keeping it stronger and healthier and less likely to develop psoriasis spots. Vitamin D can also be helpful. A topical vitamin D cream, such as calcipotriene, and vitamin D supplements are used by physicians to manage patients with psoriasis. The role of vitamin D in psoriasis is still something that's being explored, but we know that there are connections there. Uh, for example, the FDA recommends 400 to 1,000 international units of vitamin D supplements as pretty safe for most patients. If a person might be deficient, their doctor may need to draw blood levels of vitamin D and do a laboratory test. And if they are found to be deficient, then the doctor may need to prescribe a higher level of vitamin D supplementation. But for most people, between 400 and 1,000 international units is good. And then using topical vitamin D creams can be helpful as well and then also getting a little bit of cautious sun exposure in a healthy way can be good for patients with psoriasis as we know that certain wavelengths of light can help calm inflammation in the skin and so i advise my patients that they can wear a hat and sunscreen to protect their face but maybe allow about 15 to 20 minutes of cautious sun exposure On the areas that have psoriasis spots. And all of these factors together can help a patient's body be in better shape to hopefully have less flares.
1: Wow, it really is all about that mind body connection. And along those same lines, Dr. Stern, it seems like effective communication between a patient and their healthcare provider is really critical to managing flares of the disease. Do you have any tips to help improve that communication if it's needed?
3: I can offer the following medical care whether it's of the skin or other parts of the body, is a team sport. The better you and your healthcare providers can work together, the more likely you are to achieve the results that each of you are trying to achieve. And that requires open, honest, direct, compassionate, sensitive, and empathic communication, even if it's brief. In this era of the COVID-19 pandemic, where many people are unable to adhere to non-emergent visits with their healthcare care providers, you might have to learn how to do communications over the telephone or video conferencing so you can keep in touch with the person and feel the connection so you feel related to the other person. And with that, the stigma that many people fear goes along with their dermatologic condition needs to be addressed. And the more that you face something directly, the more likely you are to overcome it. And that's one of the reasons why our book was called Facing Psoriasis, Not Hiding from Psoriasis.
1: So as part of that conversation, and for both of you, can you speak to the benefit of setting goals overall? It seems like setting goals can be helpful in all aspects of healthcare, whether it's treatment or lifestyle modification.
3: So if I were to start by answering it in the following way, we look for behavioral change as we move from being pre-contemplative to being contemplative to creating an action plan. And once you go through these different steps or stages and you start to decide to change, setting a date makes it more real for you and more real for those around you, and it gives others the chance to support you and encourage you to help you achieve your goals. If you keep it hidden from others and keep it unspoken to or with yourself, you'll have less chance to get positive reinforcement from those around you.
2: I completely agree uh, with Dr. Stern's comment about group support being so helpful for patients. And I think the National Psoriasis Foundation provides such a great avenue for that, for patients to support each other. And I also try to encourage my patients, if they feel like they're not succeeding in managing their disease, that it's not something that needs to happen immediately or even overnight. I really like the quote from the philosopher Lao Tzu who says that The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And so I always encourage my patients to begin with small steps and goals that they feel like are achievable for them. And, you know, just work from there and just try to make sure that every day they're doing a little better than the day before.
1: That's really such a wonderful perspective. And it works well when thinking about managing flares or even psoriasis. So, again, for both of you, do you have any final comments about triggers and flares for our listeners?
3: I would say, Part of this journey is learning to know more about yourself and your skin, to learn more about your surroundings and your stressors so that you can apply helpful strategies to help you and your healthcare provider achieve the goals that you want, which is to avoid triggers, avoid dermatologic exacerbations, and minimize or prevent Flares from interfering with your life.
2: I agree. And I think that finding the right dermatologist and psychiatrist, physicians who really understand how to help a person with psoriasis live successfully with their condition can be so important. And patient advocacy organizations like the National Psoriasis Foundation help people in so many ways, which is why I recommend to all my patients with psoriasis to join the NPF, and why Dr. Stern and I wrote about the National Psoriasis Foundation in our book, Facing Psoriasis, so that hopefully all the people out there who read this book will know what a great resource they can find in the NPS.
1: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Karosh and Dr. Stern, for sharing information about your book, the foundation, and for your support. We certainly appreciate you letting others know about NPF's resources and how the foundation can help. It really is obvious how much you care for your patients. And speaking of resources, the NPF does have a Seasonal Flares Quick Guide, which offers tips to relieve stress and help tame flares all year round. You can request your free Seasonal Flares Quick Guide by contacting the Patient Navigation Center by calling 1-800-723-9166, option 1, or by email at education at
0: psoriasis.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple of weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Soundbites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage.